Hello, and welcome to episode eight of Stories of Strangeness. I'm your host, Mike, and this is your other host, Zoe. Hello. Hello. How are you? You can't answer us. Let's just get on with it. This week is a Zoe week, and I actually have no idea what this is going to be about because Zoe has been very secretive and not told me, and we don't know. We haven't planned any further than the last episode anyway, so... Yeah, so uncharted territory, and yes, I have been very secretive, not like for any particular reason. I just thought it would be more interesting. Sure. Okay. Okay, so do you want to just take it away? I'll, uh, I'll serve it up, shall I? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Serve it up hot and ready. <laughs> so I thought it was about time that we told some ghost stories. Excellent. Uh, so do you know anything about the most haunted house in England? Uh, Borley Rectory? Yes! It's supposed to be the most haunted place so in England? Supposedly it is, or should I say it was? Was. Borley Rectory. But apparently the haunting of the location started years before the rectory was actually built. So, first of all, we're going to have a little bit of background information. So, the village of Borley is situated in the county of Essex and it's close to the border with Suffolk. It's about 17 miles north-northwest of Colchester. So, it's actually only about an hour away from here, so mm. maybe a trip out one day. But anyway, we'll see. The village itself is quiet, quaint and quite picturesque. But we all know we shouldn't judge a book by its cover, don't we? We know that the manor at Borley was included in the Doomsday Book in 1086 and that the local church is thought to be about 12th century. Borley Hall, that sounds great doesn't it, Borley Hall was the seat of the Walgrave family just outside the village and there's also a local belief that there are the remains of a Benedictine monastery dating from around, and this is quite precise for a, a rumour, 1362. But there hasn't actually been any proven evidence of that. Right. The location we're looking at is just off Hall Road, close to Borley Church, and is also one of the supposed locations for the remains of the monastery. This place has supposedly been haunted by a nun since around 1836. She was seen here so often that a path was actually named after her as Nun's Walk. Also, either seen or heard in the area, but never at the same time, as a spectral coach with horses, driven by a headless coachman. The story of the nun hasn't been confirmed, but these are the most popular. The nun was French. She had left her order and travelled to England to marry a member of the Wargrave family, who, remember, lived in the hall. But it didn't go ahead. She was murdered and was either buried in the cellar of a previous building or thrown down a well. Another story tells of a nun having an affair with a monk from the aforementioned monastery. They attempted to elope but were found out, and as punishment, the monk was executed and the nun was bricked up in the basement. No evidence of either of these stories has actually ever been found, but there have been reports of ghostly activity in the area since 1819. So there was actually a rectory originally on the site that burnt down in 1841. But our interest in the story starts in 1863 with the Reverend Henry Dawson Ellis Bull. He built a new rectory as a home for himself and his wife, Caroline. They eventually had 13 children and he had to add an extra wing. Built on the site of the old rectory, it was directly in the path of the nun's wanderings. It is said that the reaction was almost instantaneous. The nun would stand and stare at the reverend through the window as he sat inside writing his sermons or eating. His only reaction to this was to have the window bricked up. From the start, there were odd noises, whisperings upstairs, and the sound of rushing water was heard. But the house had no plumbing, with the toilets outside and all water drawn from the local well, as was common for the time. For a time during 1886, Ethel, the youngest daughter, was the focus of the activity. She heard knocking at her door every night, and even had her face slapped by an unseen hand. Her nursemaid made light of the claims, but after two weeks of footsteps outside her bedroom door at night, she handed in her notice. Reverend Bull became quietly obsessed with the nun, in turn wanting to watch her as much as she seemed to want to watch him. He built a summer house at the end of the garden, and spent most evenings there waiting for her to appear. 
When the Reverend Henry Ball Sr. died in 1892 in the Blue Room, Reverend Henry Ball Jr., known to everyone as Harry, took up his father's position. He had an apparent interest in spiritualism and was something of an eccentric. He had narcolepsy and it was common for the family to have to go and find him when he dropped off around the estate. At one point, he also had 30 cats which would follow him around the garden for his daily walk. And this also led to the addition of a pet cemetery in the corner of the garden. On one occasion, when walking in the garden with his dog, he saw a pair of legs in the tree line. And as he watched, his dog howling and cowering behind him, the legs walked out revealing a headless body that then walked out into the garden and disappeared. He also reported stepping off the road leading to the rectory to let an approaching coach pass, only to turn and see nothing approaching. But he continued to hear the coach as it rushed past him and the sound faded into the distance. His spirituality and tolerance was not something shared by one of his servants, who left after witnessing the phantom coach careering across the dining room, passing through a wall and out onto the lawn. The nun was also seen often at this point, often mistaken for a visitor. On the evening of the 28th of July, 1900, Harry's sisters, Ethel and Frieda, were returning home through the garden when they saw the figure of a nun. At first they thought it was a visitor, but as they watched they realised she was gliding rather than walking and they became very scared. One ran to fetch another sister, Elsie, but she thought this was silly so she ran up to the nun to talk to her. The nun turned, faced her for a moment, and then vanished. Harry Bull began his time as a rector living in the house, but when he married in 1911, he moved out, leaving his sisters in the building. In 1920, he moved back in, bringing his wife Ivy with him. At this point, the sisters apparently moved out. Harry took after his father in his interest in the nun, and he too took to sitting in the summer house at the end of the garden. The Reverend Harry died in his sleep on the 2nd of May, 1927, in the Blue Room. He was 64. In the autumn of 1927, Fred Cartwright, a travelling carpenter, saw the nun four times in two weeks. He wasn't local, so he just assumed that she was visiting the rectory. It was only during the last sighting, when she vanished in front of him, that he realised she was a phantom. The 2nd of October, 1928, saw the arrival of the new rector, Reverend Guy Eric Smith and his wife Mabel. Whilst cleaning one day, Mabel found a skull of a woman in a paper bag in the back of a cupboard. Reverend Smith gave the skull a formal burial. They witnessed an array of poltergeist activity. Lights, footsteps and disconnected servant bells would ring. Mabel and a servant, Mary Pearson, believed that they had on separate occasions seen the horse-drawn coach. One day when walking past the Blue Room, Reverend Smith heard somebody begging, Don't, Carlos, don't. But the room was empty. The couple contacted the Daily Mirror. A reporter, V.C. Wool, was sent out on the 10th of June in 1929, and he wrote a series of articles. The most remarkable happening was seeing a light coming from the window of the Blue Room when the family were all outside. When someone went inside to investigate, they found no light source in the room and the room in darkness, but those outside could still see the light. On the 12th, invited by the newspaper, Harry Price arrived. Harry Price was a famous magician and member of the Magic Circle. He rose to fame debunking so-called psychics and paranormal events. The arrival of Harry Price signalled the arrival of new and previously unseen phenomena. Stones and pebbles would be thrown and often hit people. Vases and other objects were also thrown, and messages were tapped out on picture frames. During this time, the rectory became front-page news both locally and nationally. Reverend Smith resigned and the couple left after just over a year on the 14th of July, 1929. The rectory stood empty for over a year. It seemed all the publicity was putting people off. But on the 16th of October 1930, Smith was replaced by Reverend Lionel Foister, who was accompanied by his wife Marianne and their adopted daughter, three-year-old Adelaide. Having previously been living in Canada, Lionel was the first cousin of the Bulls, 
and was aware of the building's history. Between 1930 and 1935, Reverend Foister kept a record of all the occurrences, many of which seemed to focus on Marianne and Adelaide. Possessions disappeared, and items they didn't own appeared. One day while washing her hands, Marianne took off her watch, and when she turned a moment later, the watch remained, but the strap had disappeared. Writing began to appear on the walls, often appealing for aid. Variations of please get help, light, and candle were common. Bells rang, windows shattered, stones and bottles were thrown, and strangely, a door without a key, the door to Adelaide's bedroom incidentally, locked itself. Marianne reported being thrown from her bed, and Adelaide was attacked by something horrible. Two exorcisms were performed. During the first one, stones were thrown by invisible hands, and it seems that both were unsuccessful. Marianne claimed to have seen Henry Bull Sr. Apparently, he had warned his family that he would haunt them if he wasn't happy in the afterlife. She described his dressing gown, which she wouldn't have seen, but older local residents recognised. Other activity recorded include fires starting, with the flints dropping out of midair, footsteps fading through walls, and ghostly figures. The Foisters left in October 1935, citing Lionel's arthritis and failing health as their reason, and the rectory was empty once again. Two years later, in 1937, the rectory was still empty, and in May of that year, Harry Price took this opportunity to rent the building for further documentation of the phenomena. On the 25th of May, Price took out an advert in the Times newspaper to request assistance. The advert started like this. Haunted House. Responsible persons of leisure and intelligence, intrepid, critical and unbiased, are invited to join Rota of observers in a year's night and day investigation of alleged haunted house. Price chose over 45 people to stay with him, including engineers, undergraduates, doctors and military men. Professor Cyril Edwin Mitchinson Jode, an English philosopher and radio personality of the time, was one of the number. He teamed up with Price on several paranormal investigations. In preparation for the year-long study, doors were locked, items locations were marked and recorded to check the movements, and thermometers were placed around the house to check for temperature drops, a common occurrence when spirits are present. During a planchette seance on the 27th of March 1938, the nun identified herself as Marie Lair. She said she had been strangled on the 17th of May 1667 and her body had been buried in the garden. The garden was dug up, but nobody was found. A previously unknown spirit identified itself as Sonex Amures and told the group that the rectory would burn down that very evening at 9pm. It also said that bones would be discovered. It didn't, and there weren't. After Harry Price left, the Ecclesiastical Commission decided to sell the building as it was getting more and more difficult to find someone to fill the post. Also, by this time, the rectory, more like a rambling mansion with over 25 rooms, was dated and in a state of disrepair. The new owner, Captain Gregson, purchased the rectory for £500. That's about £40,000 today's money. He was hoping to convert it into some kind of haunted house money-making scheme, but he did not enjoy his time in the building. Apparently, the poltergeist activity persisted and his dogs disappeared. On the 27th of February in 1939, a lamp toppled over and the rectory burnt to the ground. Even then, witnesses said they saw a figure in the upstairs window of the aforementioned blue room. It seemed that once the building was burnt, the nun resumed her walking, and she was often seen through the windows walking in the upper floors, even though the floor was no longer there. In 1943, Harry Price returned to the burnt-out shell and apparently found a woman's skeleton buried in the basement. But even after a Christian burial in the local churchyard, the nun continued her walk and the coach continued its journeys. In 1944, the remaining structure of Borley Rectory was demolished and the second rectory to be destroyed by fire was resigned to history. 
During the war, the army used the site as a base, but not for long. Officers reported a negative feeling in the area, and stones were often thrown at them. From 1947 to 1950, James and Alice Turner lived in the surviving cottage. They said in the summer they could hear children playing in the orchard and would hear heavy footsteps around the property. During a 1961 investigation of the area, torches and car lights failed for no apparent reason. And more recently, in 2000, a team recorded footsteps and heavy sighing. So that's where the history ends. But these are a few things that have come to light since the happenings. The first piece of information is possibly the most important. Henry Bull Sr. had, and died of, syphilis, a condition that in its later stages can cause dementia and hallucinations. And with no hard evidence for the origin story of the nun, could it have been stories told by a wandering mind, told to children who saw their father suffering and agreed with them, and from there the stories grew? I know I said originally that the reports of the nun predated the building, but the land was opposite the church and surrounded by woodland, so it doesn't surprise me that a story of a haunting was a local favourite, possibly even encouraged to stop trespassers. The children of Reverend Harry Bull, the second, stated they had never witnessed anything paranormal, and even though he apparently did, one symptom of narcolepsy is, you guessed it, hallucinating. In 1940, Mabel Smith gave an interview and denied experiencing anything. I mean, does that mean she didn't find a skull? I don't know. And Marianne Foister, at the time, apparently she said she thought it was her husband and Price that were causing the disturbances. But Price concluded that Marianne caused the events, and this to some extent turned out to be true. Marianne was an incredibly interesting woman. It has been suggested that she was still married when she married Lionel, a man 22 years her senior. She also had a son from this previous partnership, who would eventually visit her at the rectory as a friend of the family. And Lionel even paid for the boy's schooling, not knowing he was Marianne's son. Later in life, Marianne admitted to having a relationship with a lodger, Frank Pearless, and they used the paranormal activity to cover up the often turbulent affair. At some point, she moved out of the rectory, married another man, and then returned, telling her new husband that Lionel was her father. It was all very complicated. When they moved out, all three left together and set up home. You might wonder what happened to their adopted daughter. Well, at some point in the late 1930s, she was sent to an orphanage. Marianne said she had not seen any ghosts, but that she and friends that she had invited to stay would often play jokes on her husband. There is a lot more to her story, and I'm not sure that any of it is actually nice. After his death in 1948, Price was accused of faking the events by Charles Sutton. Sutton stated that he had visited Price during his time at the rectory, and that after pebbles were thrown at them, he grabbed Price and found his pockets full of stones. Eric Dimwall, K.M. Goldney and Trevor Hall two of whom were previous loyal associates of Price and all members of the SPR, published the book The Haunting of Bawley Rectory in 1948. They claimed Price was behind many of the phenomena and that others were caused by natural events. Rats, the natural sounds of a large unheated house settling and the sounds that wind can make around odd-shaped buildings. Bawley was a long U-shaped building with a courtyard in the centre. They also concluded that Marianne was causing a lot of the events witnessed during her time there. Apparently the book was very harsh and has been described as one of the most spiteful books ever written. After the fire that destroyed the rectory, it came to light that Captain Gregson had insured the building for a massive £10,000. That's just over £677,000, our standards and at the time the insurance company refused to pay out as they thought that the claim was fraudulent. And Anthony Gregson, the captain's son, later confirmed that his father did actually set the fire on purpose. So here's a question that still nags me. Whose skull was it that Mabel supposedly found in the cupboard? When she denied seeing anything, 
Was that made up too? The building at that point had only been lived in by the two generations of the Bull family. So what were they up to? But I think the most confusing thing is this. Harry Price believed it to be a hoax, all the way up until him actually staying there. And then he changed his mind. Even though, apparently, there didn't appear to be much of note happening in the year that he stayed there. In fact, due to health issues, he was more often not there. Was he hoping that with his history of debunking frauds, if he said something was genuine, then people would believe him? Either way, he became famous. I can't help but think if he had not focused the spotlight on Borley Rectory, it would possibly still be standing today. And who knows, none might still be walking. Incidentally, apparently the land was actually divided up and sold and now has four bungalows on it, and I couldn't find anything about the nun or the carriage bothering them. So, I'm interested to hear what your thoughts are, but before that, let's take a moment. I'd like to direct our listeners' attention to another podcast that they might like. Come on, move already! Ah, So slow. I am going to be late again. Does this sound like your typical commute? The boss is going to kill me. Sure, just cut me off, you... Ah, ah, ah. Let's be family friendly here. Wait, who said that? That's not really important. Would you like your commute a lot less disastrous? Yeah, I could use that. Well then, let me adjust your dial. (laughs) Introducing the Road Tripping Podcast. Just sit back and relax while our hosts Dean and Molly entertain you with trivia, history, true crime, the paranormal, and much, much more. All in the hopes that your commute will suck just a little less. So, let's get back to Borley. What do you think? Hmm, interesting. That's a lot more than I knew about it, generally. And I want to say that all these years I've found it really, really interesting. Yeah. And now I feel like I've kind of met my hero and I've been severely disappointed. (laughs) Yeah, because it does sound like a lot of it might have been hoax. I think all of it was. Right. Just... My goodness. Hoax or possible hallucination on the part of the bulls. Exactly. And it's, yeah. I mean, it's really sad because, I mean, I looked up. Apparently syphilis is a horrible, horrible disease. Apparently it's not fun, yeah. No. And, yeah, so he's sitting there and I'm thinking, did they just wheel him down into the summer house and leave him there mm. for the day just to kind of keep him out of sight? Was it by choice? Right. Did he just imagine people walking around and tell stories of this nun walking about and the kids just kind of latched onto it and carried on the story and romanticised the whole thing. Yeah. And then, I mean, 13 kids they had, that's plenty of people to be helping you pull stunts, isn't it? That's a lot of kids. I think there ended up being 11 bedrooms in the house. Wow. Yeah. And it had stables. It was, I mean, it literally was a mansion. Yeah. It was massive. It had its own chapel as well. Of course. Even though it was opposite the church and he was the rector there. So Yeah, but why bother going all the way across the road to pray when you can nip into nip, the chapel? Nip down the hallway, and, yeah. yeah. I don't know if I mentioned, but both the original Reverend Bulls both died in the blue room. Yeah, That does did, sound yeah. a bit odd, but it was actually the master bedroom. Right, okay, well that makes a bit more sense. So the the first one died of syphilis, which he'd had apparently for a very long time. Yeah. And the second one just Which died. is interesting actually, because isn't syphilis a sexually transmitted disease? And this was a rector. Well, I mean, he had how many kids? Well, yeah, but all supposedly with the same woman. Well, yeah, but maybe he was... Oh no, this is getting really dodgy. I'm just dirty. saying, you know, how does a, a rector get syphilis other than putting it about a bit and not following I his don't know. I don't want to make scripture. a comment because I'm not 100% that that's the only way you can catch it. I reckon he was a dirty monkey. Maybe it was an outdoor toilet and, you know, everyone used the same outdoor toilet and he caught it off a toilet seat. Again, sure. I don't know how these things are, how syphilis is passed on, so I might look that up afterwards. It's it's generally through sex. I know, it, I know it's generally through, but I don't know if there's other ways. Maybe. Anyway. So he had this very, I mean, dementia and hallucinations is going to be a horrible combination. It's it's not your most reliable witness, put it that way. Exactly. But then you've got these kids in this massive house. It's, you know, before they had no electricity, no running water, no heating. So it literally was just 
bricks Bogs, and mortar. Yeah, bricks and mortar, open fireplaces, candles, oil lamps. I'm surprised they didn't. You know, there was no instances of spontaneous human combustion, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, sounds um, right for it, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah. And then I don't know if it was just one of those things that it kind of spiraled because the the Bull family were very local. So even when the second one died, yeah, he still had a few sisters in the area. I mean, right, probably okay. half a dozen at least. Yeah. So there's nothing to say that the next people that came along, he didn't start. They didn't start flinging stones just to carry on the the legacy. Yeah, could be. Yeah. And again, it's like it's on a quite a big area. Yeah. Woodland. It's back in the day where you know they didn't have street lights. You know, yeah. Dark is dark. Yeah. Yeah. I did find it quite funny about the the couple. What's their name? Alice and somebody who lived in the little cottage mm. attached to it, saying, "And in the summer we could hear children playing in the orchard." I'm thinking the stories my dad used to tell me. They were always breaking into orchards and scrumping apples in the yeah. summer, so they were probably real children. <laughs> yeah, could well be. The coach and horses that went through the dining room was that. Do we think that was the first ever instance of Meals on Wheels? <laughs> I don't know. I, I quite like that more than The Nun, I think. That's yeah. quite interesting that it used to tear up and down the driveway. And a headless coachman as well. Yeah. I mean, I did find one reference that said it was headless horses. Right. But unfortunately, everything else that I found said so headless, headless horse coachman. Man. Yeah. yeah. I quite like that. It was either you saw it yeah. or you heard it. It was never both at the same time, which yeah. I, th- I thought was quite interesting. Yeah, and uh, then the the nun that vanished when she was talked to. Yeah, that was intriguing. And I've got a note here that says Ethel got slapped. Nurse, nursemaid quit. Yeah, so she was the youngest daughter, and apparently she was the focus for a little while, where something kept knocking on her door. But Ethel was the youngest of thirteen. She had twelve older siblings. So like my mum. Yeah, my mum was the youngest of thirteen. And did she get kind of? Not picked on, but like, because she was the youngest? Um, she was a lot younger than she her nearest yeah. sibling. So they, she was more like Baby. raised by her sisters. And yeah. Shared a bed with her sisters until she was like But that was typical in those days, crazy. wasn't it? They had a double was, bed yeah. and they just all snuggled just in there for warmth. Yeah, because they didn't have central heating for a start. Exactly. So yeah, I just I can't help but think something like footsteps outside the nursemaid's door. That just sounds like the kids are just like, let's see if we can wind her up. Yeah, let's see if we can scare her off. Yeah, as and a prank. They did, and they did. Yeah, yeah. So that worked. A pet cemetery, Stephen King tie-in. I was like, I want to see some zombie cats wandering about. As far as we know, no First Nation people buried under the pet cemetery area at Borley Rectory, though. Not that I'm aware of, no. no. But it is, would be a bit of a surprise, w- to be fair. Saxon area, so we could go go back. Disturbing the Saxons, yeah. 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 Okay. So another th- interesting thing was the the legs in the tree line that led to a, a headless body. Yeah, that was really out of keeping with pretty much all yeah. other ghosts or occurrences. So yeah, it was. Just saw some feet kind of poking out from behind a bush. Yeah. And watched as a headless body walked into the garden, but then disappeared. He mm. seemed fine with it. I quite liked him. He just seemed fine with everything. Yeah, I've got both both rectors died in the blue room. Yeah. The gliding nun, the spectral coach. Mabel found a skull in a cupboard. Yeah. See, That's this- one of the weirdest things about this story, this supposed skull that she found in a cupboard wrapped in paper. Yeah. At the back of a cupboard. and I'm Like think- it was Jeffrey Dahmer's pantry or something. Exactly. And I'm thinking, this house, no matter how old, is the home of a reverend yeah. and has only been home to one, f- like, extended, obviously, two generations, but of one family. Yeah. Now, first of all, I don't know how they knew it was a female skull. Yeah. I mean, there it are doesn't... ways we can tell now, but whether that was the case then, I don't know. And it seems a little weird that, were the police involved? Nope. They just... Buried it in the churchyard. Yeah. Again, slightly different days, but at the same time, that would be a big issue if it happened today. Yeah. It seems odd that it wouldn't be as big an issue back then, but I don't know. I'm just wondering, yeah, again, it's a little bit morbid. Mm. Do you think maybe there were more than 13 children born? Maybe. And it just seems weird, though, that it's just a skull, and then it would be a small skull, so surely they would say the skull of a child rather than the skull of a woman. Yeah, the skull of a woman, yeah. So... I don't know who that was. Yeah, no, that was definitely odd. 
And then we got the poltergeist activity, which yeah. I didn't know was such a big thing with Borley. I always thought it was more just kind of phantoms and spectres well, and things like that. If you look back to the beginning, it was the the nun and the coach yeah. and noises. Yeah. And then Harry Price turns up. And as I said, he became famous debunking psychics. Yeah. So and a bit like the amazing Randy, James Randy. I don't know he who that the, is. He was the guy who was kind of the sceptic. He started out as a stage magician mm-hmm. and he debunked supposed claims of psychics. He was basically Yuri Geller's nemesis. Oh, lovely. He was the guy that put up a million dollars for say. anybody that could actually yeah. prove under laboratory conditions that they were psychic. And he debunked the guy that could supposedly turn pages of a, a phone book with his mind. He, he was the one who put packing peanuts around him, like the foam oh, peanuts. Oh, yes, yes. And it turned out the guy was just blowing under his breath kind of thing. <laughs> and obviously when the packing peanuts Honestly. were there, it would show up and he couldn't do it. But yeah, The Amazing Randy was very similar so, to Harry Price in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I've heard of Harry Price before, but I didn't know his involvement with this story. This basically made him. Yeah. Because he started off with really good intentions because apparently one of the big things that spurred him on was psychics taking advantage of families after the war. Right, yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, contacting loved ones. That, but that's, that had to have been a booming business around then. Yeah. Because there were still the embers of spirituality from, like, the, I guess, the late 1800s. Yeah, it was it was massive yeah. around there. It's very, like, wow, you know, that yeah. Victorian England just loved this kind of spirituality spooky yeah. type stuff but yeah people were getting well, yeah because like Sir Arthur, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was a, a spiritualist indeed and, so yeah. he hated that and he you know drew back the curtain and showed the wizard type thing so when he went into this people thought I mean I was a little bit kind of confused why if you're a reverend and you've got some kind of poltergeist activity going on mm. don't you call in like the big guns yeah. go further up the chain yeah not call the newspaper not call in a magician well no yeah. it's, they're called in the they called in the newspaper which well, i felt very sounds very like odd. you're looking to cash in then but the and actual the family that harry price made it a spectacle he he did the family that called the daily mirror was mabel yeah. skull lady and her husband guy eric smith like nothing of any note really happened with them nothing major major apart from finding a skull in a cupboard apparently though because she then says later on i I didn't see anything nothing happened so why did you call the newspaper yeah for what reason that's like us calling the newspaper now and going hey yeah can i get through to the urgent stories desk hi yeah i'd like to report that there's nothing going on in my house whatsoever yeah and they'll send someone round and take photos of nothing whatsoever. Yeah. It sounds like there was more of an ulterior motive going on, and it sounds like it was probably financially related. But this is the thing, though. Unless they'd heard what happened before and they didn't like... I mean, they were in a massive house and there was just the two of them. Mm. A house with 11 rooms. I mean, the upkeep of somewhere like that would be ridiculous. Obviously, it was through the church, but... When it was originally built, obviously I said it didn't have any plumbing or anything like that. Yeah. Everyone who came along next, they all tried to kind of update it a bit. Yeah. By putting a bit of plumbing in. But even then, like the cistern for the toilet had to be filled up from the well. And you had to take the water from the well all the way up to the loft to put it into the tank to then be able to flush the toilets. So having a crap actually required a plan. Well, I mean, not for them. They'd get the servants to do it. Well, sure. You know, the servants would have the job of lugging the water all the way up. But yeah, I'm I'm not quite sure. I don't know if they just wanted to get out Mm. and thought this will be a really good Good excuse to say, I'm sorry, I can't take it. So I've got things here saying like stones were thrown, vases were thrown. Yeah. And messages were tapped out on picture frames. And the only message that I managed to write down in time was help. But there were some others. What were the other things Um, that it said? Oh, no, no. The picture frames tapping out messages. I'm not quite sure how. I don't know if it's Morse code or what. One would assume, yeah. But this is it. I it no, nowhere seemed to tell you what the messages were or how. But yeah. I'm just I just assumed Morse code. No, the please get help, light and candle were the writing that began to appear on the wall when Marianne was in the house. Right. Now she did a lot of the what's it called? The thingy writing. Automatic writing. Yeah, she did that as well. 
So she did a lot of automatic writing. Right. But she also found these notes written on walls and would reply to them Mm -hmm. and then supposedly come back and have answers written for her. Right. But they were looked at and the person that looked at them said that it looked like it all been written by the same person. But then she is the one that admitted later on that she was having an affair with a guy and used all of this to cover it up. Yeah. There's a book on her and I really want to read it. Right. So Marianne, she apparently was previously married, didn't divorce. Right. And had a child with another man previous to Lionel. She married him. He was 22 years older than her. They had an adopted daughter. And apparently there were other adopted children as well, but she would get bored of them and they'd just be sent back to the orphanage, which I thought was horrible. Sounds lovely. I think she had issues, a lot of issues. I would say. So she was having an affair. mildly. Affair with this Frank. And at one point they had a shop together, but it kind of fizzled out. She moved out and got married to another guy who didn't know she was married. She was still married to Lionel. They never got divorced. So she's a large Italian fog. Big I missed. God, yes, indeed. So (laughs) she then takes her new husband back to Borley and introduces Lionel as her dad. They move in, but she has to keep up the pretense that Lionel is her husband with the locals because obviously they all know her as the rector's wife. Right. And then this guy that she married only finds out that they're actually husband and wife when Harry Price brings out his book. Oh, my God. So then he's like, what on earth? What has been going on? And my entire then life it's like, so when they cited Lionel's health as their reason for leaving, I think, oh, my goodness. But here's the thing. They all left together and moved into a cottage in a new area. And she stayed married to the guy. And everyone thought that Lionel was her dad. dad. And that's how their story went on. What a weird situation. And yeah. even weirder that like, the guy found out in a, in a book and then went, uh, yeah, you can right. move in with us. But I think even by this point... she's technically still married to you. What yeah. the hell? Yeah, really, really odd. Wow. There was lots of other stuff that went on with her because there is a, a reading list that I've put together of books that I haven't got hold of or managed to look at. Yeah. There's two of Harry Price's books. Yeah. There's one written by, well, he would have been a young child at the time, saying we faked the ghosts of of Borley Rectory. Rectory. Right. He wrote, but apparently that's fantastical and almost as good as like Harry Price's attempt yeah. to actually making it real. So it looks like half of the the ghosts were faked to cover up an affair. Yeah. The other half of the ghosts may have been hallucinations. Yep. And whatever was left was Harry Price making himself famous and earning money out of it. Yeah. Wow. And if you look into it, people still say it's the most haunted house in England. Yeah. Even though it isn't, it's not there anymore. Yeah. But it still holds that title. And I'm thinking there must be loads of places with more kind of oomph than that. Just remind me, what what was the cause of the fire again? So An oil ca- lamp Captain Gregson at the time said that it had fallen over of its own volition. Yeah. But later on, his son said, yeah, dad set the fire. Because mm. uh, he actually moved into the stables with, I think, his two sons, and they were going to do the place up. Right. But I'm thinking, because basically someone went round it to do the pricing and said, you're not going to sell this place. It's yeah. decrepit. Yeah. You're probably going to look at like £450. And so this captain comes along and says, I'll give you 500 And they're like, right, okay, we'll take it. Yeah. He moves in and I think he just looks at it and goes, what have I done? Yeah. This is awful. And thinking, I know, I've insured it for £10,000. <laughs> yeah. After paying 500 for it. And then suddenly it and burns then down. It, da- it burns down. And this was all within the space of like a year or something. It's like it was yeah. convenient. It's it's just a, a, such an odd story of contradictions and things because you've got on the one hand people saying that they could describe Henry Bull's dressing gown without being able to know what that was like and other people recognised it from the description. See, I thought about this, but they were first cousins. Right. And also... In a house that big, I'm guessing there were paintings on the walls yeah. of previous 
directors. There's going to be photographs. Don't pretend to get yourself painted in your dressing gown, though. You don't. But what if he left the dressing gown there? What if she found it in storage mm. and it maybe had his initials on it? Monogram on it, on it yeah. yeah. And thinking, well, it's going to be one of the two. So I'll just say, I saw this guy wearing this dressing gown and he looked a bit like this. But then on the other hand, you've got people doing Ouija seances and things where it sounds like none of the prophecies from that came to anything. Well, apart from it did burn down, but on purpose. Yeah. They say, I think it was like 11 months after that seance, that's when it burnt. So actually, which could be where they got the idea in the first place. But then, actually, thinking about that, then that the captain must have only been in that house for a few months when he burnt it down. So, I mean, bless him, he must have he thought. Was, yeah, he was like, this, then, "This was a bad investment. How can I make my money back?" Yeah, but also he said his dogs disappeared. So I'm a little bit confused by that. Yeah, I'm like, are you just saying that to get a bit of but sympathy? The, the nun said her name was Marie Lair through this. Yeah, I have not been able to sounds. find. And she said she was strangled and buried in the garden. Yeah. But they they looked and... They dug up the garden and couldn't find anything. I mean, but I'm like, it must have been a pretty big garden. Yeah, I'm just going to say, I mean, I'm guessing they just probably looked wherever she specified. And then when she wasn't there, went, yeah, no, that's it. But and I, you could be literally a couple of feet off and miss something. Hmm. I read somewhere that you had, there was the rectory. Yeah. There was the remains of the first rectory. Right. But then under that there was the remains of another building. Right, okay. But I don't know if when, because obviously now it's covered in, I think it's like four bungalows or something. Yeah. Like before they built those, did they not, you know, did not Time Team come along Uh, and have a look and see what that three buildings down was? Yeah, apparently not. Because Harry Price said he found a female skeleton in in the the basement. basement. But then you see in those days, the basement basement would be be earth. Right, but still then, it's like, were the remains of the other buildings below the basement or were they part of the basement? I don't know. This is it. And I think what he was wanting us to think is he found that in the basement. Was that the bricked up body of the nun? That's what he thought. Also, did it have a skull? Don't know. doesn't say. Because if it didn't have a skull, it could have been the skull that they found in the pantry. Exactly. It could be like the kids were playing in the basement and they brought a skull up. Oh, God, quick, wrap it up and put it away. Or one of the kids could have hid it in there. You know, it's... Such a tangled web. But it does sound like a good percentage, if not all of it, was hoaxed. And it makes me really sad. Yeah, that's a shame. Because I feel like everything that I've researched so far, I've gone... Ah. Ah. Okay. Well, actually, no. Black Shook, I'm like, no. We're good. We're good, Shook. Don't worry. (laughs) And, like, Mothman and the old uh, (laughs) Grafton monster. He's fine. Yeah, they're all right. SHC and Borley have been a bit of a letdown. Yeah, but then... But I guess now we know. But also there is always that little... There's that little tiny percentage, isn't there, that... That could be, yeah. That could it actually be... That actually, here's another thought, that there is a coach and there is a nun. Yeah. But they have been so overshadowed by all the other random hoaxes that are covering other stuff that, you know, that they've just kind of gone, you know what? We're not getting the attention we deserve. We're just... No, we're just going to... Fade away and leave you to lot because you are just too much. <laughs> yeah. Ah, well then. Sorry, love. That's all right. I'm not a big believer in ghosts anyway. But no, I know. Because like... I was hoping that there'd be like loads and loads of stuff. <laughs> you can read all of Harry Price's paperwork right. for his research, but it's not readily available. It's either going to be you have to buy the book and read it, or yeah. you can actually view it, the originals. Yeah. Mm. It'd be interesting. Yeah, it would. There was a bit about Harry Price apparently being found with stones in his pockets. So he yeah. could have been throwing those around. Yeah. I think the thing I that I did... I don't know what to believe about this yeah. story at all. When Harry Price went into this, he went into it to debunk it. He didn't believe Yeah. it was real. And there's letters that he wrote to people that are now in the public eye that state quite clearly that he thinks it's... Generally, the wife. Right. He turned up with Guy Smith and Mabel. Yeah. And then ended with Marianne and Lionel. Mm. And in both instances, thought it was the wives, which kind of makes sense in that all of the men were vicars. They were they yeah. were rectors. They were supposedly men of the cloth that would tell the truth. Supposedly. Mm. So what was going on? Yeah. And what made him change his mind? 
because it seems that apparently in that year that he was studying, not a lot happened. And also he wasn't there very often. And the 45 people that he employed, they had a rota, but never that many people in the house. Right. And wow, it must have been fun in a place that, you know, had no heating, not a lot of water and was falling to pieces. Mm. I mean, don't get me wrong. I would love to have a look around it because I love nosing around big old houses. Yeah. But I'm not sure I'd want to stay there for a prolonged period of time. Not because, oh, it might be haunted, but more because I'd just get cold and bored. (laughs) Unless I had a book with me or something, I guess. Yeah. But then I suppose you can't be watching if you're reading. True. I'm going to find a better ghost story. Yeah. Well, actually, saying that, we have had the two listener requests Oh, yeah, we have, yeah. One for the white lady out in Jamaica. Yeah. And the hairy hands. Hairy hands. So I am going to be looking into those and doing a listener special, I think. But again, that's going to be a little while off now. Or we might do it as like a little extra, maybe. Maybe we'll do it as an extra one, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm sorry about that, love. It's it's been a (laughs) bit of a... It's actually been a very sombre ghost story. And not for... (laughs) I think like they're supposed ghosty. to be sombre, aren't they? Well, there's, no, but not, there's not, not that for... many ghost clowns that come back that you find out. Holy shit. <laughs> ghost clowns? I've just invented your worst nightmare. I mean, no, I suppose it was an alien, wasn't he? Yeah. Sorry, Pennywise. Yeah. Yeah. But no, ghost clowns do not sound good. Because wasn't it Macy? He was a horrible, scary clown, wasn't he? Gacy, John Wayne Gacy. Gacy, that's it. He yeah. was Pogo the clown. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that was all yeah. kinds of wrong. His ghost would not be nice. No, but like ghost of a comedian, maybe, you know, that would be a less somber type of ghost. Maybe like <laughs> Lenny Bruce or somebody like that. I mean, when Eddie Izzard dies, he's very welcome to come and haunt me. Yeah. Because he's hysterical. Yeah, he would be very good fun to have around. Oh, just apparated. I'm going to go over here now. <laughs> but yeah, I would, I would definitely have him around though. Yeah. Or any ghost that can tidy or cook. Yeah. The ghost of a cleaner. The ghost <gasps> of those women off How Clean Is Your House. They're not dead oh, yet, but when they are dead, can they come here No, and just clean up? Because you know up? what will happen is they'll get so angry at how messy the house is, they'd probably just throw things around and well, make it worse. they throw them into storage, that's fine. <laughs> they wouldn't be like your normal poltergeist that chucks stuff all over the place because they'd be like, oh, now I've made it worse. So they'd tidy up. We are dirty people. We're untidy people that are also a bit dirty. (laughs) (laughs) So I won't say if you've enjoyed this episode. I'll say, have you found this episode informative and thought-provoking? Please let us know. And if you have any of your own haunting stories, you can send us an email. You can at storiesofstrangeness at gmail.com. And we will read those out if you want us to. Yep. You can also review us on iTunes if you'd like to. That would be nice. We haven't had any new reviews in a little while, so a new review would be lovely. We'll give you a little shout out. Read out your review. Yep. We'll call your name out. If you would like to speak to us and other people who are like-minded, you can find us on Facebook. We have a page and a group. Facebook.com slash stories of strangeness. That gives you the page and there is a join group button. If you would like to follow us on Instagram. We are at stories of strangeness. And you can tweet us on Twitter. At so strange pod. And if you want to have a look at the show notes, which will have all of our reference material and the reading list for extra material for this piece, you can find our website at stories of strangeness.com. Excellent. We have a transcript for each episode. Also, for every episode, we have created some interesting illustrations for you. Aside from Skinwalker Ranch, which I haven't got round to yet, and I am sorry, but yeah, haven't got round to it. We'll do at some point, let you know when. (laughs) But anyway, for the other episodes, there are illustrations that go with them that you can buy on a vast array of very random items. Yep. Socks, shower curtains. Leggings, t-shirts, hardcover binders, not binders, Binders. hardcover journals, sorry. Sorry if you like binders and you got all excited there for a second. (laughs) All those stationary buffs out there going, oh my God. Yeah, we know you're out there. That's on Redbubble. That's on Redbubble and there will be a link in the show notes. But if you go onto Redbubble and search for Zoe and Mike 
hopefully you'll find us. Yeah, should do. Yeah. And lastly, if you have enjoyed the series so far and you feel you want to help out with running costs, things like the website and equipment, etc. Hosting. Yeah, that as well. You can help us out by giving us a little bit of money every month on Patreon. Yep. Uh, again, there'll be a link in the show notes and we were going to set up a couple of different tiers, but to begin with, there's just going to be the one, which is where you can donate a dollar a month or thereabouts to just help out. And we will say thank you to you on the show. If we you will that. indeed. Right. Well, after that lot, I think we're done. time for Betty buys. Oh, I need a cup of tea, love. Oh yeah, that'd be good. You go and make the tea. And a hobnob. And a hobnob. I think I've had my hobnob quota for the day now. I haven't. See, that's what comes with having diabetes. You have to reduce your hobnob intake. (laughs) (laughs) You just scared the cat. Sorry. (laughs) Bless her. So, with that said, I think it's time for us to leave. My voice is going really croaky as well, so excuse me. And as Elvira would say, unpleasant dreams. See you later. Bye. Love you. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.